Today's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son, Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. 
Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, though the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, very good morning to everybody. Um, if you could keep your Bibles open or on um, as we begin, that would be really helpful. I'll just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will speak to us as we look at your words. Please use this time to challenge us and to encourage us. And may we again be in awe of your grace and mercy shown to us. Please be with us and bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Pastor Hewey said, we are taking a break from uh, the book of Acts. And we're looking at the story of Jacob and Joseph. Um, If you remember a while ago, we did look at Genesis. um, Starting with Abraham, looking specifically at the promises God made to Abraham to bless him and his descendants. 
and how they begin to unfold. So here we're going to continue that series. I think if you were to boil Genesis down to its bare roots, I think the prominent theme would be God's faithfulness to his promise amidst widespread human failure. I don't know if you remember days at school. Maybe you're in a very disruptive class. Uh, I remember my maths class at my prep school. It was probably the worst class ever. It was so disruptive. Uh, Kids in the class just didn't want to listen. Every time the teacher turned his back, paper airplanes being thrown. Um, Not me, by the way. I was very attentive. Um, But the teacher persevered in teaching us. His commitment to us didn't waver. Of course, it was his job, and he was being paid to do so. But with God, he has no such obligation to keep going. If humans are the naughty school children, God is under no obligation to put up with them. He could just start again with a whole new class, but he doesn't. God is faithful to his promises. He is committed to saving a people for himself, and human unreliability won't get in the way. So today we'll see another classic example of human failure, but which once again is unable to derail God's promises from being worked out. So to today's passage. I won't give any prizes out for spoiling the prominent words in the passage. It's, of course, blessing. It's mentioned over 20 times just in this chapter alone. But that begs the question, what exactly is blessing? So as we've seen, Abraham is really where God's blessing is first emphasized. Through Abraham, God promises to create a people who will be under God's rule and in God's presence. So God's blessings are his promises, and this relates to restoring a new people. Down through the patriarchs, then, we have God's promise of blessing being bestowed on certain people in order for God's line and purpose to continue. So as I hope we can see, then, this blessing, which passed from one generation to the next, is not merely about who inherits the silverware or who gets a nice antique dining table from their parents. They are, in fact, the very promises of God being passed down, and they are not something to be trifled with. And blessing is a powerful thing. It acted rather like a will uh, in today's times. It not only contained words of blessing, but through the words, the blessing was enacted, and it empowered that person to be part of God's intended line. Hence why, in this passage, once the blessing is given, it can't be revoked. So no wonder that blessing is a big deal. So on the scene comes Isaac and his family, but the blessing divides his family, as you can see. Isaac wants to give it to Esau, but Rebecca has other ideas. The prospect of blessing drives Rebecca and Jacob into attempting to acquire it by snatching it away from Esau. If deception is needed, so be it. So Jacob pretends to be someone else in order to gain his father's blessing. But before we sort of point the finger at Jacob and say how horrible, we must ask whether we also do the same. At the very least, we see blessing as affirmation of who you are and your importance. And although it has more far-reaching implications in Genesis, it's never less than that. So can't we too be like Jacob? Don't we also crave affirmation from others? I mean, have a look at the content of the blessing that Jacob receives in verse 27 and following. People serving him and bowing down to him, power to bless and curse others, as well as bounteous provision. If we're honest, doesn't that all sound rather enticing? 
it would establish our importance. It would make us feel like we're needed. See, the desire for people to tell us that we are like no one else, that we are unique and special, is in fact incredibly strong. Um, I don't know if you know Oprah Winfrey. Um, she is an American talk show host. Um, her show ran for some 25 years. And over the course of that time, she estimates she interviewed about 30,000 people, most of whom are really famous. She highlighted, though, that one thing was true of everyone that she interviewed. She said they all wanted validation. In other words, they craved getting feedback from others that what I do and say matters to you. You hear me, you acknowledge my accomplishments. She saw that in every single person she interviewed. It drives us as human beings. And just as Jacob dressed up as someone else in order to obtain blessing, don't we find ourselves often dressing up as someone else to acquire it? Think again back to your school days. Much of school life is, if we're honest, it's about putting forward an image of yourself that is often totally inconsistent with reality. I remember that my friends who were in choirs or the chess club often kept this hidden. They pretended they were off playing sports because they perceived sports as being cooler. Um, I remember I used to pretend being in higher classes in maths and science. I mean, I was rubbish at those because um, I thought it would boost my street cred. Um, by the way, it didn't. Um, and I know people who took high-end jobs that weren't at all what they wanted to do. But what enticed them was the image it would give them, that of being successful and attractive. And the themes of people pretending to be someone else run all through our culture, from books such as Count of Monte Cristo to films like Mrs. Doubtfire or the Batman films, or plays such as Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. This is because people in general can relate to the idea of pretending to be someone we're not, usually in order to receive more favour. So although we don't like to admit it, we are often driven by the desire for blessing and affirmation. And deception is just part of the act of acquiring it. But there's more going on than just a basic need for blessing. Many of us, if we're honest, feel like we are entitled to be blessed. You know, this whole sordid affair in our passage could have easily been avoided. And it could have been avoided simply by Isaac listening to God. You see, crucial to this passage is the one which we haven't read but comes before it. In Genesis 25, before Jacob and Esau were born, God said this about them. He said, two nations are in your, Rebekah's womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Note, the older shall serve the younger. Now, who is the older and the younger? Well, right after this, the twins are born, and it's made very clear. Esau comes out first. Jacob comes out second. But hang on. So Esau came out first. He's the firstborn. So he's the one who should, in that culture, receive the greater part of his father's inheritance, and he should assume the role of head of the household. But he will be the one who serves Jacob. Esau is not picked for blessing. God has already declared which one will be blessed, and it's Jacob. Isaac, though, fights against this. And at the beginning of our passage, he tries to bless Esau. I can imagine it's taking place somewhere behind closed doors. He's trying to do it privately. Unfortunately for Isaac, though, Rebecca seems to know what he's up to, and she's eavesdropping. In Isaac's opinion, though, Esau deserves the blessing. And from a human perspective, this almost makes sense. 
I mean, we're told again back in chapter 25 that Esau grew up to be a skillful hunter and a man of the field. Farming was, of course, the way of life back then, and Esau seems to have a natural talent for it. He's out there earning his way. In today's world, he'd probably be the the go-getter, the entrepreneur, the one with the glowing CV. Jacob, on the other hand, he seems less handy. Even when he's born, he comes out of the womb clinging to Esau. Not a sign of natural dependence, if ever there was one. And we're told that while Esau liked to be out farming and hunting, well, Jacob prefers to stay at home. He's a rather quiet, unassuming one. He's dependent on others for things. He doesn't like to venture out beyond his comfort zone. But he also comes across as a rather slimy character. As you may know, Esau gave his birthright away to Jacob before this for a bowl of soup. And we may laugh and think, oh, how silly. But Jacob knew how to play his brother. He knew his brother would be easily manipulated if presented with an enticing enough proposal, one indeed which is made by Jacob himself. So if Esau is the admittedly slightly dumb entrepreneur, I think Jacob is the dodgy loan shark, probably operating out of a garage somewhere. And his part in the deception of Isaac in our chapter just confirms this side of his nature. So for Isaac, Esau, well, he seems the better choice. Note also in verse 4 that Esau is able to make Isaac's favorite food. So in Isaac's eyes, Esau is the more deserving. He should be the one entitled to receive the blessing. No matter what God has decreed will happen, God's just not right on this one. He said, Jacob, well, that can't be right. And again, doesn't this seem to be how the world in general thinks? If you want a blessed life, well, become a more attractive person. Isn't this the reason, for example, why modern advertising is so pervasive? It tells people that by themselves, they're just ordinary and uninteresting. And that you can only deserve others' attention if you make yourself stand out. Be more beautiful. Get that job promotion. Get that flashy car. The people who achieve this all will reap the rewards. But don't think the attitude is confined solely to the world around us. It's also a big problem in the church. Even though we all admit our helplessness before God at the beginning of our Christian lives, that we're not deserving of God's favor and blessing, it seems our default mode, which we slip into all too often, is to assume that we can merit things from God. And just as Jacob dresses up as his more deserving brother to gain blessing, so we too often try to dress up as someone we think would be more deserving. Whether it be cloaking ourselves in good deeds, good Christian deeds, mind you, and general spirituality. Doesn't God know how often I go to prayer meeting? By the way, please come to the prayer meeting. Maybe you're sitting here in the church feeling that God owes you something by your commitment to come every Sunday. Maybe you've started a Bible study group. Maybe you've led a mission trip. Maybe you use these things to build up a moral CV to bring before God. All this can foster a feeling of entitlement. We've done our part. We deserve more from God in return. So anything we do can become something from which we expect favor to come our way. Like Isaac, we feel blessings should be bestowed on those that seem to deserve it. And like Jacob, we focus on changing our exterior. So how can this story help us? You see, Isaac has never properly understood grace. The whole notion that God's favor is undeserved and cannot be merited 
seems a very foreign concept to him. For Isaac, one should be lovable before they are loved. Blessing is a thing to be awarded to the high achiever, the one who would be least likely to mess it up. But is this how God works? I think not. I mean, this whole family is a case in point. This family is a mess. I used to grow up thinking my family was a mess. I don't now. Actually, maybe we can edit that bit out of the recording. Um, In this chapter alone, we see the depths to which this family will plummet. Isaac tries to bless Esau, even though it goes against God's decision. Esau despises God's choice too, and is willing to receive the blessing. He also threatens to kill Jacob at the end. Rebecca comes out with a deceptive plan for Jacob to win the blessing. Jacob participates in the deception and lies to his father's face. Notes in verse 20, even about God's involvement in the act. I mean, come on. Not to mention the favoritism shown by the parents. Isaac shows lifelong favor to Esau, Rebecca to Jacob. So no wonder that the family is so divided and dysfunctional. But although this family is broken, dysfunctional, backbiting, manipulative, proud, and legalistic, God uses this family. From them come the offspring that will eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel, continuing the line right down to the birth of Jesus. And we see this all through the Bible. Hopefully you've seen it in our recent family focus series on people in the Old Testament, that the people God shone favor upon and used to do great things were not people who had first applied for the position with stunning CVs and resumes. God does not wait for someone to show promising signs before choosing them. Now, these people were mostly really broken, weak, and sinful people. God uses people devoid of much to commend them in order to show that the real power comes from God himself. He is the one in control, and his grace is at work in human weakness. See, funnily enough, it's Isaac, the man partly responsible for all the mess in the first place, who sees most clearly how God works. Take a look at verse 33. Esau has just come to receive the blessing, which had just been given to him, uh, just been given to Jacob. Isaac says, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. Isaac, of course, Isaac has realized it was Jacob he has just blessed. But this sentence reads in a funny way. He's commenting on what a crook Jacob is before appearing to do a complete U-turn and declare that Jacob will indeed be blessed. See, God is back in the picture where he should be, in charge. And who he says will be blessed will indeed be blessed. Nothing can thwart or get in the way of that. And God will bless this crook because God has promised to do so. There was nothing about Jacob himself that could possibly warrant God's favor. Human merit is removed entirely from the equation. And actually, in chapter 28, Isaac blesses Jacob again, but this time willingly. So finally, Isaac has realized he can't thwart God. Esau isn't entitled to receive God's favor, and certainly neither is Jacob. But in God's great mercy, people just receive it. So before the feeling of entitlement is removed, there is no place for God's grace in the picture. Think of the Pharisees in Jesus' day looking down on everyone else. 
Or think of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, who complains that the younger son gets a party, and he's never had a party. This problem is is all over scripture. Only when the feeling of entitlement is taken away can one then be open to seeing the wonders of God's grace. And here's the crux. No one is entitled to receive God's favor. Not Jacob, not Esau, not any of you here, nor me. No one. But we need to be clear on that. If you are a Christian here today, you have been blessed, greatly blessed. But did you deserve it more than anyone else? No, not at all. But the world thinks it's pretty deserving. A lot of my non-Christian friends are offended by the gospel of grace. But I was always told that if our friends don't find the gospel message scandalous, then you haven't explained it properly. The message that only God's grace can provide rescue for us is offensive. It should be offensive. Because it's confronting people whose default mode is to think that destiny is in their hands. Life is what they make of it, and it's all up to them. But the gospel wrestles control out of people's hands. They can't come before God and say, well, it wasn't that bad. Uh, You can't point at ISIS atrocities in Syria and other places and say, well, at least I wasn't as bad as them. Now, the point is no one can bring anything before God that could go anywhere close to qualifying them for his kingdom. A bit like how Esau despised God's promise of blessing by disposing of his birthright. So people despise God's help. They don't need God. They're okay as they are. They deserve his blessing. And we've seen this promise as prominent in the church as outside of it. All through our Christian walk, we battle feelings of entitlement. But how can we feel entitled when we look at the foundation of all our blessing? You remember how Jacob pretended to be the firstborn to receive Isaac's blessing? Of course, he wasn't the real firstborn. The true firstborn did come, though. Jesus Christ was the ultimate firstborn, the firstborn of all creation, God's eternal son. He also dressed up, but not so that he could cheat others out of blessing, but so that he could share the blessings of the firstborn with all of us. Jesus dressed up as us in all our shame and disgrace, so that we, when we believe in him, can be dressed like him. So through Jesus, we become firstborns. Hebrews twelve twenty three refers to the church of the firstborn. That is where we are. And is where we all become part of God's family and receive the honorary title of and blessings of the firstborn. So this destroys all sense of entitlement we might have. Ours is the victory, but only through his death. All that we could never have attained for ourselves, Jesus freely gives to us. And if you're here today and not a follower of the Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming. And I would urge you to look into this more, to explore the claims of Christianity, and to know the God who works in grace. But as we close, a warning and encouragement to you this morning. Do we disregard how God works in the world? Do we try and relate to him on the basis of our own merits? Do we think God owes us? Are we like Esau with a feeling of entitlement? We need to realize none of us deserve the blessing we have received. We were merely hungry beggars who were graciously given the bread of life. 
But if you are here today feeling wretched and downbeat, like a failure, wondering how God could possibly use you, can I encourage you to look again at Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob? What wretched people they were. But did they get in the way of God's plan? No. God's grace is always stronger than any human attempt to defeat it. As one commentator puts it, God's purpose sovereignly to bless his people in spite of rotten raw materials stands firm. Jacob was a deceiver, a liar, a cheat, but that's exactly what qualified him to be given grace. And no matter how many times he would do wrong in the future, God's plan for him could never be thwarted. Our moral failings will never stop God from doing what he has promised to do. Indeed, the rest of Jacob's story shows God shaping and changing him through the ups and downs of his later years. Let us marvel at the way God does the same with us. And the more that we marvel at his wondrous work in our lives, we are shaped more and more into the likeness of his son. God's commitment to you and to me rests on his commitment to be faithful to his promises. Nothing can get in the way of that. We are truly blessed, and it's all because of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your amazing love. Were it not for your commitment to save a people for yourself, none of us could hope to spend eternity with you. And were it not for the Lord Jesus, we would all still be in our sins. Help us each and every day to avoid feelings of entitlement. But please shape us to be those who see our need for your grace. Help us to see that our lives should be lived in response to your great work for us. And like Jacob, may you ultimately use us to glorify your great name. In Jesus' name, amen.